You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. If you weren't here last Sunday, Drew Humphrey, our college pastor, hit a home run. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back to the website this week, hbcwaco.org, and listen to it. It'd be the most incredible 32 minutes of your week, I believe. If you could go back and hear that message, it was stout. I was live streaming from Houston last week where I was down there speaking and so enjoyed getting to hear God's message through him. So I'm going to continue on with Elijah as Drew introduced us to him last week. So with your copy of God's Word, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 19 together, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you're relatively new to church, that's about 11 books into the Old Testament. Uh, I think Drew said this last week, it's in between the Samuels and the Chronicles. You'll find 1 Kings and go to chapter 19 with me, please. 1 Kings chapter 19, we'll start in verse nine together this morning. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse nine, I encourage you to have your copy of God's word or share with somebody else. As always, it's also on the screen behind me. First Kings 19, 9. And there he, meaning Elijah, came to a cave and he lodged in it, which really is a picture of he's gonna make a house out of it. He's gonna plan to stay here for a while. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he, the Lord, said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. They've killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left. And now they seek my life to take it away. And he said, God said, now go out and stand on the mount before me, before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke into pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him with a very familiar question. What are you doing here, Elijah? Great story, but let's get some context. Let's get a running start into what's happening at this point in the chapter of the life of, of Elijah. To get a context and running start, we have to go back probably one page in your Bible, at least one chapter, back to 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you don't mind going back a page and kind of looking at that, we're going to look at a few verses in chapter 18, because chapter 18 is what I would believe probably the most spectacular, epic event in all the Old Testament. They really should make a movie out of this. 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, Israel, as you may know, was having problems with idolatry, worshiping idols. And they would constantly worship God and slip back into idolatry. Worship God and slip back into idolatry. That was the cycle of Israel. And so God would call up sometimes a courageous judge to speak to the people of God for them to return back to the one true God. Sometimes he would call up an exacting prophet and it would call the people of Israel back to the one true God. Uh, sometimes it would be a, a passionate uh, priest that would stand up before the people of God and, and, and would point the people, pull the people back to the one true God. This is what's happening here in chapter 18. At this point, there's a king. He's a miserably ungodly king by the name of King Ahab. And he has married a wicked, nasty woman named Jezebel. Anybody here named Jezebel? Exactly. We don't name our daughters Jezebel because of this woman right here in the Old Testament. She was a nasty lady, wicked lady. And she was fanatically devoted to, to Baal. 
In fact, she brought in some Balian priests and Balian leaders, and she set up a worship centers all across Israel to worship Baal. She set up schools to train people, teach people about Baal. What has happened is she has set up a national system to make Baal the national religion of Israel. Israel, the people of God, the land of God. She is married into King Ahab, and, and she is now exacting her desire to create a Baalian system within God's people and God's land. So God has to do something, and he wakes up his people by causing the rain to cease for three years. So there's drought in the land. People are dying from lack of food. The economy is in tatters at this point. And so Elijah goes to King Ahab and says, I have a proposition for you. I have an idea of a showdown. Why don't you gather all of your Baal prophets, all 450 of them, and I will meet all of them on the top of, of Mount Carmel, the, the peak of the top of, of Mount Carmel. I will meet them there, and there will be a showdown for the ages. I will pray to my God. Your 450 prophets can pray to Baal, and we'll see what happens. And Ahab says, you're on. Like, Baal is the God of rain. Like, what could go wrong in this showdown? <laughs> 450 in one corner, Elijah in one corner, Perhaps thousands of Israelites are there to watch, and wouldn't you? And the first up to bat is the 450 prophets of Baal. They have prepared a bull and an altar. They're gonna see which God calls down fire first. Let's pick it up in your Bible in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 26. They, meaning the 450 Baalian priests, they, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon saying, oh Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. Now, now your Bible may not use the word limped right there. In fact, you, your Bible probably uses the word they danced or, or they leapt. But, but really it's the Hebrew word pasakt which means that they hobbled around or they limped around the idol. So either they were faking an injury or maybe they had twisted an ankle on the, on the dancing and leaping. But it says very specifically here, they were hobbling around or limping around this, this idol, verse, verse 27. And at noon, so it's gone on for about three hours or so now, Elijah begins to mock them, saying, hey, cry aloud. Or in other words, cry louder for, for he is a God. Either he's musing or he's relieving himself or he's on a journey or perhaps he's asleep. Maybe, maybe you need to wake him up. Now, Elijah starts taunting, starts, starts mocking in about five different ways. First of all, he says, hey, call a little louder. Maybe if you scream louder, then, then he'll be able to hear you. The second thing that he says right here in verse 27 is maybe he's thinking. Maybe your God is out musing is, is the word the ESV renders there. Maybe he's thinking about an idea. The third thing, huh, yes, he did. He went there. He told the Balian prophets, hey, maybe Baal is relieving himself. Man, there's an internal debate going on in my mind right now. What, what, what he said was, maybe your God is urinating. Now, I've never said that from the pulpit before, but I'm not any holier than God's word. So that's just, I'm just pre I don't write this, I just preach this. That's exactly what Elijah said. Maybe he's in the bathroom, maybe he's in the restroom somewhere. Then he goes on, he says, well, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's kind of taking a little break for a while. Uh, maybe he, he's out, maybe he's asleep. Now, sometimes we read people in the Old Testament and we go, man, I would never ever behave like, like people in the Old Testament. We have finally found a guy, a guy that does, behaves just like us. Like he is taunting them. He is saying, what is wrong with your God? Look at verse 28. 
And they, meaning the Balian prophets, they cried aloud and they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Wow. They bled to get their God's attention. Our God bled to get ours. And here they are cutting themselves so desperate for a God who does not even exist, who cannot hear, who cannot answer, to get that God's attention. Verse 29. And as midday passed, as past noon now, they, they raved, an interesting word, they were just in a, in, a, in a frenzy. They raved on and on until the time of the offering of the oblation, which is just a, a gift before a God. But there, I love this, there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. And now it's Elijah's turn. And you probably heard Drew reference this last week. Elijah has that same bull that's prepared on top of an altar. And Elijah says, go get four jars of, of water and let's pour it on there three different times. So 12 jars of water. Let's douse the bull. Let's douse the wood. Let's even build a trench around it. And let's let that water gather in that trench. And then Elijah, he stands before the Lord with this short prayer. I want you to see this. The prophet steps up and he prays. First Kings chapter 18, look at verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, the gift, Elijah the prophet came near and here's his prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. That's important. Israel. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that these people might know you, O Lord, or God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And the fire came down. And the word of the Lord and the rest of this narrative says that fire came down and it consumed the bull. It consumed the, the wooden altar. It lapped up the water. Literally, it licked up the water in the trenches around the altar. Then the Bible says it begins to burn up the 12 stones that Elijah had placed around the altar. And then God's word even goes on to say the dirt began to be burned up. The earth itself was burned up around it. This is the, the fire, the glory, the power of God coming down and faces to the ground. Listen to what the Israelites say here in 1 Kings chapter 18 Verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal, let no one of them escape. And they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. I have been on the peak of Mount Carmel five times down to Israel and that Kishon brook is still there today. You can look down the eastern slope of Mount Carmel, and there's that brook. This really happened, a true story, spectacular and epic in all of its ways. And now Elijah sends his servant and says, hey, look to the west, look to the Mediterranean Sea. Are, are the storm clouds beginning to stir? Let's pick it up here in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 44. And the seventh time he, the servant, said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is rising from the sea. And he, meaning Elijah, said to the servant, then go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go on down the hill, lest the rain stop you. And then a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel, which is the town there in the valley of Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he gathered up his garment and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. He ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Now, just catch this picture. 
Right, so Elijah sends his servant up saying, hey, I think it's about terrain. Certainly there's a cloud coming. And seven times later, finally the servant comes back and he said, I'm looking back to the, to the west, which is where the Mediterranean Sea is, and I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. And in faith, Elijah says, and you better go tell King Ahab, get on that chariot or he's gonna get stuck in the mud. He has to get back home to Jezreel. Jezreel was 20 miles away from the top of Mount Carmel. And then God's hand is placed on Elijah. And he reaches down, this is what this means in Hebrew, he reaches down and he grabs the back of his cloak and he pulls it up and he tucks it into his belt, right? It's uh, Old Testament joggers is what he does. So he, he pulls up his, his, his cloak into his belt and he takes off sprinting 20 miles and beats the horses and chariots to Jezreel. It's amazing what God's hand, some adrenaline and a wind will do for you. This guy takes off and, and beats, uh, beats King Ahab back to Jezreel. Now that is one of the most spectacular stories. Can you come up with a better story in the Old Testament that so rightfully displays the, the existence of the one true God? Can you imagine the public spectacle of this? Can you imagine this going down at McLean Stadium here in Waco? In one corner we have the prophet, in another corner the fake prophets, the false prophets, and it happens, and there's buzz, and there's social media, and it's the talk of the town, it's the talk of the nation. That's what's happening. That's what makes chapter 19 <laughs> so interesting and so unusual. So let's pick it up here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. So Ahab told Jezebel, his wicked wife, all that Elijah had done. Now he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, who was there in the city, there in Jezreel. He'd already run 20 miles to get there, saying to Elijah, so may the gods, small g, do to me, and even more also, if I do not make your life, Elijah, as the life of one of the prophets by this time tomorrow. In other words, Elijah, you're dead by tomorrow. Verse three shocks me every time. Then he was afraid. Think what he just saw 20 miles earlier. The fire of God, the power of God. He wasn't afraid of 450 prophets but this wicked woman makes him shake in his knees. He was afraid. And he rose, and poor guy, he ran some more now. He rose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which by the way is 90 miles away from Jezreel. 110 miles this poor old prophet has now sprinted. He comes to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and he left his servant there. Why would he leave his servant there? Because he's done. I mean, he wants his life to be over. He knows that Jezebel is after him and her word is good. But he himself, Elijah, he went a day's journey into the wilderness and he just came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die saying, and we've all been here before, it's enough. It's enough. Now, O Lord, will you take away my life for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. Is it possible for God to have his hand on someone's life and someone to experience great victory and be very close to God and then four verses later, 24 hours later, feel like either killing themselves or asking God to let them die? Certainly. I mean, this is the realism of Scripture. This is the authenticity of God's word. And let's just be real honest with one another in this house this morning. This is us. One moment we have seen the greatness of God. One moment we feel so close to God. One moment we have experienced his victory or walking that victory. We're enjoying that relationship with God. And it can be 24 hours later. 
and we throw our hands up in the air and go, it's enough. God, just, just go and let me die. I'm, I'm done with people, I'm done with life, I'm done with me. If you're taking notes this morning, you can write this down. Or if you don't wanna write it down, I pray you'll wrestle with this next thought. Closeness to God yesterday does not translate to closeness to God today. And that probably hits all of us this morning. We can all probably look back and go, man, I remember being so close to God last semester, last year, at, at a camp, at a retreat. Remember being so close to God in a Bible study, so close to God in this experience when I, was, when I was in high school, you know, years ago, or even a few weekends ago. I remember being so close to God. Well, let me say again, we can learn this incredible principle from Elijah. Closeness to God yesterday does not translate to closeness to God today. We can't live off of yesterday's experiences. We can't just keep celebrating the victories from yesterday. I'm a diehard Dallas Cowboy fan. I should know that to be true. We can't just keep celebrating what happened years and years and years ago. But it applies spiritually to our lives as well. We can't just keep living off of, of old things, even old victories, even old close experiences to God. You know, Psalm 143 says that the word of the Lord comes to us new every day. The word of the Lord comes to us new every day. In Psalm 30, it says, the joy of the Lord comes to us new every day. Lamentations chapter three says, the mercies of the Lord come to us new every day. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah chapter 50, the teachings of the Lord come to us new every day. Isaiah chapter 33 says, the rescue or the salvation of God, it is reminded to our hearts every new day can't just live off the experiences from yesterday. We can't just eat stale bread. We can't just remember what used to happen and, and draw on those type of things. We can't run off of old experiences. We need to be close to God today and, and each day. Here's the story of Elijah. He reminds us not to bank on the carryover of our closeness to God in past seasons of life. First King chapter 19, verse five. Let's just pick up verse five again. So here's Elijah, he's, so he, he lay down to, and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and, and said to him, arise and eat, and he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake, a cake baked on hot stones and, and a jar of water. This angel came and baked him a cake. I'll say it before you do, it was angel food cake, right? Of course. <laughs> Dad joke number one just bombed. So yes, angel food cake. He, he, he makes this, bakes this for him on the hot stones and he ate and he drank and he lay down again and, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Elijah, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And Elijah, he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Oreb, the, the Mount of God. Let me call a quick time out because I know there's probably some here this morning that you're exhausted like Elijah and maybe weary spiritually or physically, emotionally, just weary. Maybe you've come to a place like Elijah, it's just enough. God, it's just enough. I, I can't handle anymore. You know what's interesting to me? In this moment, God did not call Elijah to repentance. God did not tell Elijah what he needs to be doing better. He told Elijah to rest, sleep, and eat. And we'll get going in about two more days, God says. So if you're overwhelmed today, 
it is biblical for me to say to you, rest and sleep and close your eyes and enjoy the presence of God, not during my sermon, but at some other point if you'd like to do that, or during my sermon, that'd be perfectly fine. You've got about eight minutes to go. Here, God's messenger came to Elijah and said, in the middle of your stress, in the middle of your weariness, I just want you to rest for a while. I'll be here, my presence will be your strength. My presence will be your rest. Verse five through eight, 40 days, 40 nights to Oreb. He came now to the Mount of God. This is verse eight, which is another, by the way, 200 miles. So this guy has run 20 miles, then ran 110 miles, and now he's making a 40-day journey of 200 miles. This, this is a man on the move. Let's go back to verse 11, our, our main passage for this morning. Let me give you a few things and we'll wind this up. This is verse 11 again. So God came out, excuse me, so God said to him in verse 11, Elijah, I want you to go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord and, and behold, the Lord passed by and a great, I love this, a great and strong wind tore the mountains, plural, and broke into pieces, plural, the rocks, plural, before the Lord. That's some wind. It was making the mountains shake. It was peeling off pieces of rock from, from the mountains. This was a powerful moment, a powerful thing now that Elijah was experiencing again. He had just experienced the fire of the Lord coming down. And now there's this wind swirling all around him. And after the wind, of course, was the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire. Now in the Old Testament and New Testament alike, these are all three the presence of God. Earthquake, wind, and fire. Normally, even more specifically than that, they were the judgments of God. You don't speak to God when he's in the earthquake. You don't speak to God when he's in the fire. You don't speak to God in the wind. And isn't it interesting that God wasn't even in those things here in 1 Kings chapter 19. God is clearly telling Elijah what happened at Mount Carmel was amazing, but it doesn't change lives. But my word will change your life. Dramatic experiences kind of pull us maybe a little close out of interest to God, but God's word transforms us. And so here comes this still, small voice. And after the fire, this is the end of verse 12, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. A low whisper. Your Bible might call it a still, small voice. I think the King James Version calls it a still small voice. It's a great, a great Hebrew word. I love to teach this Hebrew word to you. It's really easy. Um, the first phrase, the first syllable is dak, as in Prescott, so dak. And then you've got din, as in like a, a room in your house. So dak, din, and then the last two syllables are awesome, mama. So dak, din, mama. Would you say that with me? Dak, Din, Mama. I mean, you're Hebrews with a Waco accent. That was awesome. It was very well done. Dak, Din, Mama. And Dak, Din, Mama in Hebrew, it means a, a thin breath. This thin breath of God comes and speaks to Elijah. You see that the wind, the fire, the earthquake, those are the judgments of God, but the thin breath of God is his grace. The still small voice of God is the grace of God. And you know, we think that God always has to speak in loud and big things because we see God as being loud and big, but that's not what's detailed right here for us in 1 Kings chapter 19. Sometimes God speaks in a whisper. So I wanna wrap up this morning by telling you four things about the whisper of God that this week you might draw close to that whisper. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes or wanna consider these with me, Number one, God's whisper is powerful. 
God's whisper is powerful. Don't mistake the absence of volume with the absence of power. When he breathes, there's still power. I'll point you to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. When God breathed into the dust, he breathed into the dirt and humanity took a breath. God's breath makes dead things live. So do not think that just because he might be quiet in your life means that he's reducing power. An absence of volume does not mean an absence of power. Here's the second thing. Sometimes God whispers to get our attention. Sometimes he has to whisper so we'll draw in close, so, so we'll listen closely. Sometimes his voice is that, that thin breath, that still, small, quiet, low whispering of a voice so that we're drawn in to, to listen and to hear. I mean, you're hearing me right now because I have a microphone in front of my face and I'm being amplified to all of you, but if I were to turn my microphone off and just talk to the people here in the front couple of rows, jealous. I was really funny and said some great things just then that all of you missed out on. I mean, if you wanted to really hear what I was kind of whispering to the front couple of rows, I mean, none of you did. I'm, I'm glad you didn't. We didn't have time for it. But if you wanted to hear, you would have had to leave your seat and draw close because I no longer was being amplified. I no longer had this loud, clear voice. I was speaking kind of in a low whisper here at the front. To hear that low whisper, you would have to draw close. You'd have to come near. And this week, I'll just tell you that sometimes God will speak to you in a whisper. And if you don't come close and you don't draw near to him, you're gonna miss it gonna miss what he has to say to you. Here's the third thing I'd love for you to know. Few forms of communication are more personal than a whisper. Few forms of communication are more personal, more intimate than a whisper. I would never meet somebody and shake their hand and say, hey, I'm John Durham, and pull them real close and go, it was really nice to meet you. They <laughs> go, ah, oh, that's weird. Cringy. But I do whisper to my wife, I won't tell you what I whispered to my wife, but I do whisper to my wife. I'll whisper to my kids. I'll whisper to my close friends because it's a personal form of communication. Isn't that amazing? God would whisper to us because of his desire to speak to us personally. An intimate relationship with God. Here's the fourth and last thing. You'll miss God's whisper if you're constantly surrounded by noise. And has there ever been a generation that needs to hear that more? because we have our earbuds in all the time. There's always something playing. There's always noise in the background. I wonder how many times in my life, let me just own this. I won't make you own this. I'll own this. I wonder how many times in my life I have missed out on the low whisper of God, the thin breath of God, because I was allowing all this noise and distractions to constantly be around me. Distractions minimize prayer. Noise distorts voices. Loud drowns out the soft. Busyness pushes out the sacred. John Donne, this really smart and sometimes sarcastic English poet said, I neglect God and his angels for the noise of a fly. We'll miss his voice if we're just constantly distracted and drowned out by other noises. And here's the last thing and we'll land on this because I believe every page in the Old Testament points back to Jesus. 
Let me land with this. A small voice and a Bethlehem baby reminds us that God wants us close. He didn't send a loud, warring king on a horse the first time he came. God sent Jesus as a soft, thin breath, a baby, a baby, to remind us that he wants us close. And how do you draw close to this God? Through Christ. Christ and Christ alone is the gate and the door and the entrance to a relationship that can last forever with your maker, the God of heaven and earth and your lives. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. I thank you for men and women who have chosen to be here today to draw close, that we can learn why and how and the impact of drawing close to you. God, forgive me, and I guess I'll say on behalf of all of us, forgive us that we're loud people and we expect you to be a loud God. And in your still, small, low, whispering, thin breath of a voice, help us not to confuse the absence of volume with the absence of power. Because even your breath, even your breath brings dead things back to life. So God, as we worship you now, for some who might be here today weary at a place where Elijah was, it's enough, I'm just, I'm done. God, I pray that this song would remind us of your promises and your presence to us. Thank you for your word and thank you for your whisper. We wanna draw close to hear you well this week. Through Jesus, this Bethlehem baby who became our sacrifice and our entrance point to God, we pray and believe, amen.